You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. You can find this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, Google Play, YouTube, Voice Assistance, just say listen to After The Show Movie Podcast, and you can also find us on ascully.com where we post written reviews. With that out of the way, here are your hosts, Ascully and Sitok. Hello, Sitok. How are you? I'm I'm well. Well, good. I'm well and good. Also, um, our lockdown just started, didn't it? Our county. If you're listening to this sometime in the far-flung future, you know, could be like the year, I don't know, 2045. Well, you may have heard of the historic coronavirus that hit the world. We have just in our county as of five o'clock, which was about one hour and nine minutes ago, come to a stay-at-home order. No, it's a little vague. You can still go for food and do some stuff, but you can't gather with more than, like, ten people. You can only go to work if you have this, for me, like, with this letter in case I get stopped for why I'm traveling, etc. So that's what's going on. It's not really affected us in the last hour and nine minutes because we've been in here, but we'll see. Tonight I'm going out to get drive through, which I feel like isn't essential, but it's still available. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you can't go and sit in a restaurant anymore. They've all stopped. Correct. This is the before the after the show discussion, but it's sort of like before the after the show for the whole entire world, where there can't be a discussion now without this as part of the topic. But I mean, the truth is, we get along fairly unscathed because our life is very much just us in this house anyway. If you noticed, I go to the store, I go to work, occasionally I go visit family and friends, but that's about it. We are not social people. So the idea that all social activity, all restaurants are closed for sit-in, all churches, um, all gathering spots, offices, cinemas, um, all that's done. Like nobody's going to anything like that. Um, All you can do is drive through or order ahead of time in a restaurant. They'll bring it out to, to your car for you, things like that. Grocery stores are still open, but you have to keep six feet away from everybody. But for us, we don't have children. We don't have friends <laughs> that don't pretty much exist on the internet anyway. So we are in a very uh, interesting position to where it's not touching us terribly yet. Now, we're both healthy. Everyone we know is healthy. So we're going to go with that for now. Yes. Um, and we... And not, we haven't run out of food or toilet no, paper. No, no. I am also fortunate that I've lived a life where I've been taught how to cook everything from bread to cornbread from scratch to homemade pasta. I mean, also made the effort to learn how to cook over the years. So we have a lot of ingredients, so we're good. We don't have a stockpile of anything unnecessary at all. Just if we have to hunker down, we've got dried veggies to make soup. We've got yeast and flour to make bread and... I mean, we'll survive. And on top of that, what what happened last night? Oh, last night we had a hailstorm. Golf ball-sized hail on our house. Now, I've looked around pictures of our town and even out our end of town. They had put a tennis ball next to some of the hail, same size. 
And right now we're under tornado warning. So we have this lovely springtime weather here in middle America. So it's, you know, the universe is not made for us to just happily live our lives. Come on, everybody. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) And that's it for the world update. It is. So stay safe. Wash your hands. Yeah. Unless this is way in the future. Still wash your hands. Yeah. Always wash your hands. (laughs) Always. And stay six feet away from all people. You do hate me washing my hands a lot. I don't hate it, but you're fucking, you pretend to be like a surgeon or something. And I, I do think that's unnecessary. To be anything. In normal everyday life, it is very unnecessary. You I've, do not go anywhere. I've always been a hand washer. I know, but it's like compulsive and I don't like anything that's compulsive. Yeah, so. but guess what? Us compulsive folks, we're living the yeah, dream but you're now. Still like, your life hasn't changed, so washing your hands isn't changing I'm your reality. The dream. I don't have It's to not get... like you're going anywhere and touching anything. When people now. are saying to me now, you've got to keep washing your hands, I'm like, I'm already ahead yeah, of you. Yeah, but it. You're, wash- you're not going anywhere to touch anything. Don't matter. That's why you're supposed to be washing your hands when you touch strange things. If you touch the mail. I touched yes. the uh, trash can yesterday. I was like, I'm washing my hands. Yeah, but the trash can came from us. No, the one that goes outside on the road. Oh, that. Okay, that's fair. Fair, fair. But still, compulsive, you know. But always, I'm not. I'm not like won over by the whole horrible situation to be in favor of you washing your hands. Like thirty second hand washing. Yeah, at least you're good at it. I'll give you that. I agree with it. All right, so (laughs) (laughs) it is Saturday, March the twenty eighth. This is after the show six hundred and twenty seven. That's a lot of podcasts. We look at a movie every week. Um, Oh yeah, somebody this week. Talking of 627, I got a nice note from a lady called Zoe, who said she found she's self-isolating, and uh, she found our podcast looking for movie review podcasts, and she started listening, and she really likes it. Fantastic. And we're helping her out in her her, um, solitary confinement. I'm going to guess right now that she's already on your side, and she likes you better than me, because I'm bitching about you washing your hands. Well, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to put that out. That goes without saying. (laughs) Which is totally fair. You're the bad guy, and I'm the good guy. (laughs) Oh, well, that's, (laughs) if she's only just joined us, that is the way it is. I am always the bad guy. He's always the good guy. Correct. Good cop, bad (laughs) So uh, we're a movie review podcast. We review a movie every week. This week we're looking at the movie Richard Jewell. It's a 2019 movie. It's out on Blu-ray right now. It's out on digital as well if you can't get out there to buy Blu-rays, which you probably can't because they're all closed, those places, I'm assuming. Well, no, because like Walmart has to stay open because they have groceries. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah Walmart, yeah. Um, so it's out everywhere digitally and Blu-ray. It's from our friends at Warner Brothers who sent us a copy for review. Now, Sid Talk, you give us a synopsis of the movie, and then I will give you the one off the box. Clint Eastwood's telling of the Hollywood version of <laughs> the real events, in quotation marks, that surrounded the Olympic Celebration Park bombing of 1996. Six. And it's about Richard Jewell, the guy who found the bomb, was accused of being the bomber, and sort of Clint Eastwood's take, based on a book that's very Richard Jewell friendly, and the truth about the whole situation, but also some of Clint Eastwood's um, own personal things tucked in there. And I'll tell you what it says on the box. Richard Jewell tells the story of the security guard 
who discovers a bomb at the 1996 Atlanta Games and takes swift heroic action, saving countless lives. But in a turn of events, he becomes the FBI's number one suspect, vilified by the press and public alike, featuring an all-star ensemble cast, including lots of different people. I'm not saying them all. (laughs) It's one of the most intriguing and powerful movies of the year. All right, that's what it says on the back of the I box. don't know if that's the truth, but yeah, the rest of that sounds right. <laughs> so um, I'm quite a fan of uh, Clint. Also, that's hyperbole because it's not countless lives. There was a set fin- finite number of people there. True. Right? So we could have counted them, and I'm not saying that's that's a bad option. I'm just saying that is, of course, they're exaggerating. I'm a, a fan of Clint Eastwood movies as he gets older. You know, mm-hmm. I've actually been like some of the stuff he's been doing, I, you know, to you, it's as if like um, the early Westerns just like mm, whatever. But in no. his later years, you're into his movies. Yeah, I've been into him since like Gran Torino, Million Dollar Baby around those times. Mm-hmm. Like um, because I find him to be like he's, he's quite eclectic. He chooses. You never know what he's going to do. He did Jersey Boys like a musical, you know, like, yeah. He um, then he did like that, the one that we reviewed about the train bomb. Yeah, the, uh, we, was like fifteen seventeen to Paris or something. Yeah, I think sixteen seventeen to Paris, maybe seventeen fifteen. <laughs> That's yeah. the time of day, not well, like the like, year. That was like some. It felt like a real fresh, like young filmmaker type thing. Where, where I was like, wow, Clint really. Yeah, look that up. I mean, we didn't give the right name of it, but. Look through Clint's movies and look for one that has like a I number. I think it's in the sixteen seventeen to Paris. Well, I will verify that for you <laughs> while you keep talking. Um, <laughs> you might be right. But I've been into Clint's stuff now. I don't want to. I don't want to offend him, but I find his movies very functional. Aside from that one we were just talking about, which is kind of experimental almost. Is that bad being functional? Um, no, it isn't really bad because it sounds like I'm putting it down, but. I think he tells a good story. He does it kind of economically. You know, we watched The Mule was his last one, which I thought was an excellent movie. And he goes for like a realism thing, like you're just following the guy and it, all the real locations. And, and he does that in this movie too. Um, and I didn't really know the story of this movie. Richard Jewell. The 1517 to Paris. Oh, well, for anyone an who, wrong. who doesn't use military time, that's the... 317. Yes. To Paris. That's a train where some dudes, real life dudes, did thwart a terrorist attack and he used the real people. Yeah. And so that's what was controversial about it and really interesting about it. Yeah, that's and it was it was mostly improvised that movie. It was um a lot of just, you know, them acting out the day. You you thought of something did you look? Because also he did J. Edgar. Yeah, he did, which Hereafter, is great. Invictus. Yep. The Changeling. Yep, with Letters Angelina from Iwo Jolie. Jima, which I've never seen. Which one? Letters from Iwo Jima and Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers. I've never seen those. But around, you know, all those movies, they're very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Often they've got like a story, like a real thing to tell. And he wants to, you know, like this one. It's this- like he wants to set the story straight when yes. he's decided. Or, I mean, in this case, he has proof. But, I mean, when he's put his own his perspective on it, and then he's like, this is the story. Yeah, because the real-life events of this one is... This movie follows it fairly closely. 
of, you know... But the view controversial things. This guy's a um, security guy at this um, Atlanta Olympic Games concert. And he finds a package, which he believes to be a bomb, and he tells everyone this is a bomb. But they all kind of look at him as as if it's a joke, because he is very... And I bet all of us know this guy. He is... He's a try-hard. He wants to go, first of all, buy the book about everything. Mm-hmm. And he sort of aggrandizes him, himself as being in law enforcement. He repeats it in the movie. I don't know if that was real life, but his perception is, I'm in law enforcement. So he had like this <clears throat> idea of himself as a police officer, law enforcement, when in fact, at that point, he was a security guard, but he sort of elevated himself and he took everything super serious, you know, like... So he comes across as kind of goofy a little bit. A like, little bit goofy and like um, what's the, in the sky is falling, you know, the little chicken that's like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Or the boy who called wolf, cried wolf, like the yeah. person who's always like high on alert. So after a while, everyone's anesthetized to that. And then you're like, yeah, yeah. And pat him on the head like you're just a pain in my ass. So when he goes to tell everyone, I found a bag blah, blah, blah. They're all like, ugh, you know, you're just getting on our, let's just take it over to Lost and Found. And then he freaks out because that's not protocol and it could be dangerous. And it turns out that bag did blow up. It killed two people, two or three people, injured over a hundred people. So it was a big deal. And And then then he becomes the suspect. suspect. Um, Because at the time, and think about, I was thinking about this, in the 90s, we also had this profiling became like a phenomenon, like we all now heard of profiling for serial killers. So all of a sudden, we start hearing about all the serial killers of the world that we never actually heard about before. It became like, I don't want to say trendy, but it did for news people, for newspapers, for books, for websites, obviously, the 90s was when the internet was really, like, you know, taken off. And so all of a sudden people clam on to this idea. So the idea of the um, the hero criminal or the wannabe hero who will cause the catastrophe and then come along to save everybody was like a thing. Like two or three actual people had done that in the news. Uh, we heard about them in the news over the last the years following up to that. So they decided this is a profile. We're going to clang on to that. That's the guy, right? So it's interesting if you look back, because now we don't hear anything about that. We don't hear a lot about serial killers. We don't hear a lot about the hero savior criminal guy. It sort of like comes and goes. So that's what was happening in the 90s, high profile cases. And so I think, unfortunately, he got sucked into that. And it, you know, he... When somebody called him Rent-A-Cop. Yeah, when it offends them. him. <laughs> That's kind of the description I would give of that guy. He's like that guy, you know. That everything he tries so hard, even when he's been in law enforcement, he got fired before, he didn't do well as a security guard as a, as a college because he was just too much. And like I said, we all know the guy. A guy like that, or a person, could be a woman, could be anybody, who's just a little, like desperate to be good at a thing and then it just falls a little bit short all the time so it's hard to describe but i totally got the vibe that that's what he was like but he's also like got a heart of gold sure um well i mean we don't know because we don't know him but no but the way he's portrayed here anyway it's um like he wouldn't hurt anybody he just wants to do good yeah so 
what I got for I didn't really know the story of Richard Jewell. I knew that somebody, you know what? And this is weird because people said that. I thought he was the guy who did it. Yeah. So when this movie started to unfold, I was like, oh, obviously he's not the guy who did it. Because it didn't, you know, you, I couldn't go there. You mm. did. You said uh, you thought he might have done it. I couldn't remember the outcome. I'll be honest. I couldn't remember, but I hadn't thought about it. I didn't remember the name yeah. of the person that had, I do remember some of those news clips and whatnot. And that's Clint Eastwood's point, he said. like, um, Yeah. Like people, even to this day, when you say, oh, do you remember Richard Jewell? And they go, oh, yeah, the guy who did the bombing. That's what they say, because the uh, press just kind of went for him, didn't they? they just, this is like, a good example of how humans tell stories to make sense of the world around them. And then if that isn't completely and utterly taken apart and every single person is now made clear, this is not actually what happened. Well, we move on with our lives and then it becomes like a legend and then it becomes like a tale and then you only get bits and pieces. And then all I remember is Olympic bombing, Richard Jewell. Oh yeah, that's the guy, right? So I think it's a good lesson for all of humanity history. (laughs) Like like, We tell stories, you know, Zeus wasn't a guy, right? Hercules wasn't a guy, but hey. It's a story. It's a story. Yeah. So it's one of those things where a lot of people will come up with that answer, even though that is not what happened. So Clint Eastwood wanted to show, look, no, spoilers. It's a real thing, so it's not really spoilers. Sure. But this guy didn't do it and was actually... What do you call it? Nullified or whatever you, the FBI... They just removed him from the list of They write suspects. you that letter that says you're nothing to do with this inquiry anymore, officially. But then the thing is, a few years later, another guy comes along. Now, I haven't investigated all of the evidence against that guy. If he, he They said he admitted to doing it. Um, that Eric Randolph, I think, was his name. But I don't know all the details to that. Yeah, it doesn't go into that either, does it? It just kind of... It's like a cherry on the top at the end. It, you know, they do a little thing where Richard gets Because if to- you're watching it and you're convinced he didn't do it by just what you know already, then the guy comes and says, guess what? He didn't. The guy confessed. And then it's <laughs> yeah. like, all right. You know, he knows he didn't do it. And now the world supposedly is going to believe that too. But so sadly, oh- this person has passed. Um, he died in 2007. So 10 years, basically, after this all happened, the real guy died. And so it still isn't around to vindicate his name or to, like, have the whole world go, oh, you know, that was a shitty thing that happened to you. Now, one thing that kind of struck me about this movie, and it, it came across quite a few times, is it, it actually felt a bit like a TV movie. Sometimes. And, you know, like the, the reenactment of the actual bombing. It seemed mm-hmm. like it was on the cheap a little bit to me. But we know Clint. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Clint so, likes to stick to his budget. So that's where I was like, well, it is Clint. But he's then- also, he just, he's telling the story. And I think the flash and all that, I mean, the, you know, the big stuff isn't really his. No, I don't think so either. So so I, I did, I did kind of notice that kind of stuff during watching it. Mm. But then once it gets away from the enactment of the real event at the beginning and goes to like the apartment and the you know the law offices all those kind of things it felt you know more i don't know really authentic yeah like like oh we're really in this guy's apartment that's what oh yeah the sets in clint eastwood movies and the places are always you feel like it's a documentary almost and one thing we did learn 
was that Richard Jewell and his mother have our kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's like the contractor who built that house is, built our house because it's exactly the same layout. Yeah, it was just the kitchen part. Yeah, it's it was funny. the same. You kept looking over there and going. It must wow. just have been a, a popular pattern in the seventies because our house was built nineteen seventy one. So right, yeah, with the elite. It's with a the, really small detail, but I was like, whoa, that's my kitchen. But yeah, it was good design of the. Um, <laughs> now. Th- the story itself, I feel like I, I didn't know the story, so I liked knowing the story this way. But, you know, it, it feels very sentimental the way it's told. But that mm-hmm. is Clint again. I feel like that's how he goes for things. Like it's a bit sappy. Very know? sappy at times. Very sappy. Yeah. But I did feel for the for Richard Jewell. There was, there was a part where I really felt for him towards the end. Where I it was just didn't, like... You could I see, don't know why. You could see all, like... Imagine how much pressure it was. Like, he couldn't step outside of his apartment. There was like, what? Oh, the press is absolutely... Hundreds of press everywhere. There's a difference. You know, people now, we've had, you know, our President Trump for a few years, and he's been, he constantly insults the media. This is the deal. The press is different than the media. Media is, to me, the amalgamation of freedom of speech. And whether you like what they say or not, you have a brain and you can decide what you don't or like. The press is that pit of vultures and disgusting, intrusive fuckers who sit there with their cameras in your face and they zoom in on you from across the street and they get microphones in your face. That's like press because I think of that as like old timey movies where the press have their hats on and they're all rushing around. I mean, that's real. People really do that. That's the press. I don't know why I separate them out, but to me, the media is just, it is what it is. It's there to tell us what they see, what they think, and their own interpretation, and we can sort it out for ourselves. And the press are a bunch of, like, insects just crawling all over So it's you. like the paparazzi. And the yes, yeah. yeah, paparazzi, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, I felt for this guy at the end because it was like his life was completely taken over by something that he he was just trying to help people, right? He yeah. had no bad intentions at all, but then they couldn't... It was like the FBI couldn't see, like, a solution to it, so they had to pin it on something. I mean, I don't know. I but think the way it's portrayed in this it movie. It is, but I think that people in their jobs also have good intentions, and I'm not I'm not naive, and I'm not... I'm super skeptical, cynical. I've got it all. I think everybody's full of shit. However, in that moment, the people doing that job... Do not sit at their desk and go, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to pick the wrong guy so we can get this over with. Like, maybe somebody does, but I think that's the tiniest percentage, and my belief is most of the people in those positions are going to do what they can to do right. They, It's just, things get wrong and pressure and blah, 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 you know? I don't know. Maybe I am naive, so you can correct me if I'm wrong about this. You're naive. I really don't think I am. <laughs> I don't think that FBI agents sit around and plot to put innocent people in prison. Don't you like, think, like, sometimes they have to have, they have to have an answer to something? Well, so they, they look at the evidence they have. They they use their own filter of the world. They're not robots. They're people. Mm-hmm. And if they have this whole long list of stuff about this person, which in this case they did, that all leads to what was a big deal at the time, profiling the person. It's like it all fits. How can this not look at it to them, to some anybody's mind? You know, if you've got two kids in the living room and you're in the kitchen 
And all of a sudden, something breaks in the living room, right? And you go in there. What broke was a glass of Kool-Aid, and it's all over. And one kid has Kool-Aid all over the front of them, all over their hands, and all over their face. And the other kid is pointing straight at the kid with the Kool-Aid going, She did it! She did it! It wasn't me! It wasn't me! Well, that's still circumstantial evidence, Mom. Right? That's true. The kid who looks squeaky clean, who's sitting across the room, could have just moved really fast, threw the cup on the sister, whatever. I'm just saying. (laughs) It still looks like that person's guilty. And you just, you want to get the deal closed, right? Like, oh, let's get this over with. So I don't put it up to incompetence necessarily, these kinds of things, but just a, I don't know. um, Oversight? Yeah, and an overall sense that we have a problem, we need to solve it, and we need to then do it right now, right now, right now. And sometimes, obviously, this one took six years to ultimately solve, but I don't know. I just don't want to chalk it up to, like, evil in these government organizations. I don't know. Maybe there is. Yeah. Oh, there has to be, because there's jerks everywhere, but... And, you know, it's a the way Clint tells this story... And with any of Clint's movies, I think you can, you absolutely know where he stands as a filmmaker on on the thing. He thinks that the FBI is stupid incompetence and. I don't think that. I feel like he did. That's not, no. In this movie, especially, the way he portrayed John Hamm. I don't think he portrayed him as incompetent at all. Not in. Well, let me not say incompetent. Let me say, um, like, he has to, what would you call it? Like, he. uh, he has to finish the job. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what. Like, like they actually trick this guy. And that, this is real. We just looked up the real... Makes you wonder how many times they do that to all, all kinds of people. Yeah, I mean, they pull this guy in without a lawyer. Yeah, they say, we need you to come in, uh, Richard, because because of what you've done as a hero, we need you to come in and help us make a training video for Quantico, for like the FBI yeah. headquarters or whatever. Which is like complete training. bullshit. So they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the while, they're actually luring him in to get him to say things and do things. Now, I am not above thinking that's for real. I think that's shitty. I don't know. That seems like a a human thing, right? You develop this system of games and manipulation and trickery. And it's unfortunate that that sounds like that was a real deal. Yeah, and there's also the other scene where they're making him um, say the words when yeah. The, when the bomber called up the nine one one at the night on the night of the thing, they're making him say those words into a telephone, which yeah. is like I said to you, if you don't, if you do look at this skeptically, they could just be recording that so they could take that to court and say, "Here's the phone call from the night." Yeah, true. You know, because what we weren't as technically. Um, I guess though, I also the thing is, you're also portraying a particular notion that. People have positions, like at one point the lawyer says to him, when he's going to go get a different job or whatever, a little bit of power can make a person turn into an asshole. So don't let that happen to you. And I think that might be also one of Clint Eastwood's points of view. And I can be honest, I'm not saying assholery, but even at my job, just very recently, because I'll start by saying I have no fear of or respect for unearned authority a position doesn't equal your authority over me so every boss i've ever had has had issues with this but i you know there are people 
in all different kinds of positions that if you just question the tiniest thing, there is this almost primal, you know, do not question me comes bellowing out. And I don't even think it's a matter of like position anymore. It's just that person is in that position and that's their thing. And I feel like that the John Hamm character might've had a little of that. Like I've stuck my teeth in and this is where we're going, you know, do not try to rip it down. And then he was not contrite or apologetic in any way when it was time to come around and say, you're no longer well, a suspect. He, he still thought he did it. Yeah, true, true. He actually said it to his face, like, I still think your client's guilty as hell. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed the way it was put together, but I could, I definitely felt that it was kind of biased in a way. I don't, against certain people or the way it was presented. Biased against law enforcement. Yeah, for having, and you're and supposed the, to be the, on Richard's side. The 100%. press in that circumstance. Yeah, but I mean, that is Clint Eastwood. If you watch other films of his, you will see kind of where he is. You can just kind of see just sure. from the way it's being presented. Um, but I think filmmaking, you know, filmmaking's very ordinary, right? His filmmaking? Yeah, like his camera angles and but stuff. But that's what makes it good, is because now all you're focusing on is the every performance. single... Yeah, performance, the dialogue, the situation they're in... You know, you're, it's more visceral almost because you're not dazzled by like weird camera moves or any effects or anything at all. So moving on to the cast, Paul Walter Hauser it plays Richard Jewell. Now, I knew immediately when I saw the cover of this movie that, <laughs> oh, <laughs> tell them Sid why. Talk is not going to like this movie. And then, and why then, is that? Why? Well, Paul Walter Hauser looks to be the star of it because he's right there on the front of the cover and. You don't like him in things you've seen. I've never liked him. Ever, ever, And you ever. haven't seen him in a lot? No, like four things, I think. You've seen him in Cobra things. Kai. I think that because the characters he plays... I kind of... It's like this overwhelming... Ugh. And that could be to his credit. I think... It, oh, he was in I, Tonya. It must be to his credit because during this entire movie, and in fact, immediately, I was like, oh... Well, he's all right. I mean, he's he's convincing me of who this man is. He never got to meet the man, but he met the man's mother, and I think the mother approved of all of his, of how he portrayed him, right? I didn't know that at the time, but I was like, okay, okay. He's doing all the mannerisms and the body language and the reactions, and he's really holding back a lot. Yeah, because he's usually where super he's, goofy. Yeah, and I was uh, I was all right with him almost immediately. I didn't have I the issue was I know this character from real life kind of situation. I'm not a fan of that type of personality and the traits that come with it. But I understood he was really doing a good job, so I'm turned around for now. I I actually enjoyed him in it. I thought he was. Um, I don't have anything against him. I don't have anything against him. I've just never liked no, I mean, anything I've, I've, I've ever seen. I've not disliked him in anything, is what I'm saying. I have. In a, in, when he turned up in Cobra Kai, I knew, I was, I was like, <laughs> oh. Because he's like a goofy character in that. Um, like the guy who's a bit too old to be at the karate school with the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I've, yeah, I liked him in this because he actually got me a bit emotionally towards the end. Because he... Didn't the, get me there, but... I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, 
Sam Rockwell plays Watson Bryant, who's the his lawyer in this. Always good. He is, and I really appreciated him in this. And I said to you earlier, it was about how he's kind of a bit rough around the edges, the character that he's playing. I don't know if the real-life guy was like that, but, you know, he's like a bit... You can tell that he's not fully together. Like, he's, he doesn't quite dress like a lawyer, you think. He... You know, he's got potty mouth sometimes. He's he's kind of, I don't know. Well, by the poster behind him, about sort of like the government is not your friend. Yes, he has that behind him. <laughs> then you know where this guy is coming from. And the very opening of the movie, we hear him yelling on the phone at someone very, very brashly and just no, no uh, holding back. And then at the end, he's like, thank you, Senator, whatever. So then he, we get, okay, this guy... Maybe he's like me. I don't give a shit yeah. about who you are. If I don't like what you're saying or you're doing, I'm just going to tell you. And uh, that's established very early, and that continues on. So I thought you did a good job. Yeah, that side of the character came through for me. I kept I kept feeling that, like, oh, you know, <clears throat> he, he has to talk to Richard at first and actually ask him, did yep. you do this or did you have anything to do with this? And Richard's face is like, why you're my lawyer? Why are you asking me that? But <laughs> yeah. as a lawyer, I have to ask you that, right? To sure. get a baseline in my mind of whether you did it or not. Like I can, I can tell. Or I mean, can they tell? Or can don't know. Can't Some people think they can't get like a gut feeling from it. But um, and then he's all in, isn't he? As soon as he re- he says, "No, I'm going to fight for this dude." Yeah, and I'm in, and he really is in. He he's all the way through. So I really liked him. Olivia Wilde plays Kathy Scruggs. I thought at first she was being a bit over the top. Yeah, I thought it was over the top too. And there's controversy about how this character was portrayed and what they wrote and what her character did to get information. So if you don't buy into what the movie is telling you, it may not, it doesn't sound to be accurate. The portions with her seem to be Yeah, it's very over the top anyway. So I thought that was a bit strange. Like she's a bit too much, isn't she, from the moment you meet her? But then I was yeah, like, but there are people like that too. Yeah, but then when I read the real thing, and it was like, well, this stuff that she that is a main plot plot point in this movie that didn't happen doesn't happen, and that always well, me. Clint Eastwood defends it by saying we could have happened like this, so he just sticks yeah. by it. But and, we and don't the, know that the thing is, she she sleeps with John Hamm, who's the FBI guy, to get some information. I wasn't from- going to tell them that, but okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a true thing. Even, it's even not true. That part isn't. So she sleeps with John Hamm guy to get some information because she's a reporter and then publish a story that ruins. But in, this, in the real world, she didn't. In the real world, she didn't do any of that. Right. So it's like... Is, is it Clint like Eastwood we, is not known for his uh, feminist views. <laughs> and that's what he got. So he thought, if this lady got this story, wrote this article, then this is how I decided she got the information. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't serve the story in any way, because it's a true story. Correct. It just makes it less... Um, what do you call it? Less... Credible. Credible, yeah. Yeah, it makes it... Because you're like, mm, what, why make that up? Also, it's 1996, and this is 2020. Do are we really still telling these stories about women? Yeah, like you know, in, when like we that's the Bombshell, only way that a woman could have got that story. We watched Bombshell the other week, and they made a character up. Now, I understand in that why they made that character up because they wanted to have a, 
all these women rolled into this one character. But in this movie, that what this character, even though this character was involved in the real thing, what she does in the movie is completely. It changes the whole movie, like absolutely, because it is a crucial thing that what she does. I mean, the truth is, they went from everyone thinking he's a hero to an article in the Atlanta newspaper saying he's a suspect by the FBI. That right there, the difference between hero and now suspect was all out, like, just in one day. Yeah. So what really happened is what Clint Eastwood is trying to fill in without knowing the truth. Yeah, so that part... I'm not into yeah. it. Yeah, uh, disregard plus, that part. <laughs> plus, I wasn't fully into Olivia Wilde's thing, what she was doing. Like, it was a bit too much for me. It was. Uh, and I generally like her. John Hamm plays Tom Shaw, who I think always plays... I like how he plays things. I like him in anything. He's a lot the same, except when he was in... in um, Let's be honest. Um, Not really. I mean, he's just suave and sometimes serious and... I don't find him suave. <laughs> Maybe you see him a different way than I do. Um, but I think he played this guy well, and I really liked... He just seemed like a shit to me. Oh, I disagree. When he when he was trying to trick him, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Man, you, we have such different views of things. My God. I didn't think he was being a shit at all. I just figured... I mean, I'm not approving of it. I just didn't think he was being shitty, so... Very different. I mean, he was tricking the guy. Oh, and when he was, they were just like, when he came into Richard Jewell's apartment and his mother's there, they were just kind of rude and flippant. Like, they weren't nice or. I don't think they're supposed to be nice. They're just doing their job. No, well, it was, it was just very, uh, it, it made me not like John Hamm's character quite a lot. Hmm. Uh, right through to the end when he still said, I, think, I believe he's guilty as hell. I was like, ugh, get away. Um, Kathy Bates plays Bobby Jewell. What do you think of Kathy Bates? She was good. I mean, I'm up and down about Kathy Bates. She, she was, was nominated for the Oscar for this she movie. She was an emotional older lady whose son was being, of course, according to her, no matter what the situation, wrongly accused. And so she did that well. I was convinced she was thinking about that mother at times and like, my God, what would this actually be like? You know what I mean? I could almost feel those wheels turning in her performer's brain. Right. Um, I thought she was good. Mm-hmm. I don't, I honestly don't think it's like an Oscar Academy nomination. Yeah, I, I mean, she cried a lot and I yeah. know sometimes that, But um, yeah, know. she was, I mean, I believed her as the mother, so. Yeah. Directed by Clint Eastwood. I put down some of the movies. He, he, um, re- These are some of the later ones. American Sniper, The Mule, J. Edgar, Gran Torino. You know, he's, Which we have discussed. He's not only a director, he's a movie star for many, many, <laughs> many, many, many years. <laughs> and how old is he? We looked him up. 89. Correct. And he's still making movies. Crazy. He's, you know, when, I dis- when we said the other day about legends of Hollywood dying, I believe he is one. He's if, dying? No, um, who died? Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. Who was, was also, a while ago. Who was also a legend in my eyes. Right. From the old school, from the old day. I mean, they're still around. Like, I mean, everyone's... There's always someone dying. No, I'm talking about these legends of Hollywood, the ones who have been right, but they're, working that's in Hollywood for happening. 70 years. Right. Right. So Clint's one of those. Yeah. In all forms, like, because he's... Acted, he's 
Writes the music. Don't forget that part. Yeah, writes the music. (laughs) Do people maybe don't know that he writes the score, or at least some of the music, for almost every movie he directs. Yeah, and you'll notice a theme to his music. It's often melancholy and piano, you know. Quite maudlin. Makes you feel a bit sad. Uh, And this movie's no exception. It has Like, it kind of gets out of your way, so you can just feel whatever. Like the other stuff. Like his camera technique and all True. that is gets out of the way too, because you're not going to go, "Ooh, look how stylized this is," because it's no. not. Like it's just straight up. So IMDb reviews, what are they? Those are reviews people write on IMDb, and sometimes they, they give they one star, and sometimes they give them ten stars. And you like to read the one stars because if you disagree with them, you can make fun of them, and if you agree with them, then you think they're they're right. And you often give it a funny voice. So we'll see how that goes this time. I bet people hate this movie, actually. <laughs> Some people will. The Some people hate every people movie. are going to hate it. The first one says, it's a perversion of cinema. Oh my. Oh my. What's the deal with this completely fabricated side story about a female reporter trading sex for information? Pathetic that Clint Wood had to resort to a distraction from what would have been a great story without the about the perversion of journalism i mean that's not off base it's not the whole movie it's not off base yeah it's not the whole movie though but yeah i can see why that would be a sticking point for some people but also because it isn't accurate the next one says why make stuff up clint (laughs) jewel was treated unfair but this movie treats a female reporter unfairly why it was unnecessary she's dead and an easy target i guess you lazy filmmaker. <laughs> Dang. Can't not, lazy. You can't not kind of agree with that part, though. That's true. Um, and this guy says, Clint never disappoints. He knows the perfect way to make a boring, low-budget movie. <laughs> That's kind of, He's consistent. Yeah. Uh, and this, but they wrote a review because guess what? They sat through and watched the whole thing. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe Which I think they, is hilarious. Do they want the two hours back? Probably. Some people will. This guy says, This movie's American to the core. No boying, not boying the storytelling. I don't know what that means. And forced focusing on hero aspect of simple guy. Forced American <laughs> obsession or hero-like character. What? <laughs> That's exactly what it says. <laughs> Was there no punctuation in that? No. Long, rambly collection of words? And then finally this guy says... This is another very good film from Eastwood that's ruined with a lie about a deceased journalist. As she cannot defend her reputation. Say. It's also craven cowardice from a man who remains one of the finest directors in the history of cinema. Obviously, I have not revealed the precise details of his lie here, but it undoubtedly will be hurtful to her surviving relatives and friends to see her portrayed as an unethical journalist and diabolical person. As a lifelong admirer of Eastwood... What is most baffling to me is that this lie serves no purpose in relation to Eastwood's central message about the unfair treatment which is inflicted upon Mr. Jewell. And I absolutely 100% agree with that one. I do too. See, you can like the movie and dislike a part of it. It's okay. Yeah, once I learned that that part was untrue, I was like, I don't see the point in it even being in it. True. It didn't serve anything. I mean, it just gave him a plot point. It gave him like, oh, this is where things take a change. Almost like a conspiracy theory, like, oh, I wonder how it leaked to the press. Oh, I bet you this is how it happened. And then putting it in a movie. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Yeah, when you're actually focusing on the real thing in the rest, 99% of the rest of the movie is focusing on what really happened. Yeah, it's very so, weird. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. So, um, extras, there are two extras on this Blu-ray. There are um, the real story of Richard Jewell, which was quite good, I thought. It showed you. Yeah. Um, you could probably find a better real story on YouTube, though, right? Like a documentary. Oh, I don't know. I'm sure it's been on something like 60 Minutes or whatever at the time. And then The Making of Richard Jewell, which is pretty standard. Get to I see. mean, those are the news outlets that promoted the idea that he was pretty much instantly guilty. So yeah, but I don't wouldn't know. they have gone back and... Yeah, but I don't know who, you know, who do you trust, right? Yeah. Yeah, true. So um, they're pretty standard featurettes. There's two of them. Uh, so it's not like a 10 out of 10 movie for me, but I, I did enjoy the story. Learn something about a situation that we didn't know yeah. everything about. Because as I always recommend, there's a site called History versus Hollywood, a website. You can go there, and if it's a movie based on a real event, it will show you the the actor and the real life person photograph, and it will also, you know, show try you... try to fill in. I mean, it's the same essentially the stuff you could look up for yourself, like yeah. on whatever. It just concise. It gets it all concisely, and it will tell you. This happened in the movie, but in real life, this happened. Yeah. And it compares. And this movie, to be honest, apart from that one thing we mentioned, it's mostly correct. So, you know, that's good. Bombshell was mostly correct too, remember when I looked at it? Yeah. Apart from there being a fake character who doesn't exist. (laughs) So other than that. Yeah. (laughs) Totally Um, true. So, yeah, I think it's a fascinating look at this thing, which I didn't know about. I... Don't know if this is the best way to experience this guy. I mean, it makes this guy look good towards the end. I mean, you and I have a different point of view, but I mean, it appears to just portray the fact that later someone admitted to doing it. But then everything else, you don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but I do. I, I hope Clint makes more movies because I do like, enjoy watching Clint's movies. I feel they have some kind of... Because it's him. It's like he's my grandpa. <laughs> and I look up to him. And when he puts something out, I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I like this. You know, Really? Yeah. In some way, that's what I feel about him. Interesting. He's like the elder filmmaker of the bunch. and uh, yeah, But he, he, can, he can be wrong. He can. And, and I, <laughs> as, as I, said, I don't want you to be blinded this by, perfect, like, you and, know. And I address that. You know, I, yeah. I would even say to him, like, that is stupid what you did in this movie. <laughs> But, you know, I did enjoy the story. So, thanks to Warner Brothers for letting us review this movie. Next week we'll be reviewing another movie, but I don't quite know what it is just yet. So as, maybe, the, as the world continues to do what it's doing, our movies are not the high priority on everyone's list, so that's fine. And the thing, the thing is, like, when we get movies to review, like, it's kind of come to a bit of a halt. Because actual people at PR companies are the ones that have stacks of movies on their desk, and then they put it in a package, and then they send it to us physically. And guess what? Those people are at home now. (laughs) Exactly. They're working from home. So on their desk at work is a major pile of stuff. I mean, they could have them shipped to their house, but then, you know... Apparently, that because of how it all happened so quickly, that is not happening right Mm. now. So, um, you know, we we might... We have a lot of movies. We'll be fine. We will always have a movie to review. It doesn't matter what, but we will. We could also just talk about movies we have seen in our lives, which adds up to probably 
I mean, I have 3,000 on my IMDb list. I mean, that look, I've how, like, I mean look how many I have. Where does it tell you? Uh, in the on your list. Yeah, right up at the top. Your watch list. If you've put them all on there. I put, I put them on there as I watch them. Yeah, but have you done what I've done and go back in the depths yeah. of your brain yes. and think like, holy shit, what movies have I seen? Then you pick a person like Tom Cruise and like, okay, I've seen this, 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 I've this, got 1,969 titles. I right, so at least that. And that's not even all of them. Yeah. Because we can't, you can't think of them all. That's 4,000 plus. <laughs> yeah, easy. <laughs> some of those crisscross. So, of course, um, we've seen some of the same. So we'll say an even 3,200. At least. So we've all got all those we could talk about and all the ones we have. So at this point in the show, we uh, give movie recommendations. I am giving on the subject of Clint Eastwood, Gran Torino, which is one of my favorite of his later works, and a movie he starred in, which I bet nobody has seen. It's very underlooked, this one. It's called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Have you ever seen that movie? What do you mean nobody has seen? That was very popular. Yeah, but... Now would it? When was it? Like 1970 I, or something? I, I wouldn't say that nobody has seen it. That's well, an exaggeration. Well, let, let me say that the younger generation might okay. not have seen it. Do they matter? <laughs> no. I mean, more of the Clint It was from years, 1974. Back in the day. But then I would be required to watch everything that comes out on all of TV, music, and movies now. And I'm not going to, because I'm not, you know. It's uh, 1974. A young person. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Why do you like it so much? It's one of the first movies I ever got on VHS. It's a cool crime caper, which I really like, like a heist. It's a bank robber uh, movie. Oh, you do like heists. Yeah. And uh, it stars Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges. And uh, Jeffrey Lewis as well. And Gary Busey. It's it's just like this crazy, like, it's a road trip. It's like a road movie. Okay. With a big heist involved in it. I mean, I've heard of it. I have not seen that one. That won't be on my list. It's probably. a cool movie. Comedy, crime, drama. I'll give you the uh, synopsis. With the help of a young sidekick, a bank robber gets his old gang back together to organize a daring new heist. You see why I like it now? Yes. Because <laughs> like every other heist movie. <laughs> <laughs> I see exactly why. Also, one, one of the things I remember about it is, uh, this is probably sexist. but Probably, if you preface it by saying that. I was a teenage boy. Okay. Ugh. Or less. Are you gonna, is this something you should only say... To your wife and not like to thousands of people listening to this podcast? Maybe less than a teenage boy, maybe. Are you, sorry, uh, are you answering my question? No, I'll just say this should... to the world. <laughs> so um, there's a scene in it which <sighs> which is indel- indelibly imbra- ingrained in my brain. And I think it's Catherine Back, you know, who played Daisy Duke, I believe. Yeah, Catherine Back. And she's completely nude. And um, not Clint Eastwood, the other guy. Jeff Bridges. He's like... Uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Are you sure? He... I mean, I'm just asking. Jeff Bridges, yeah. Okay. He plays Lightfoot. He would have been pretty young. Yeah, he was young. Probably okay. about 20-something. 20, 20 okay. And he is fixing... So up... Daisy Duke and Jeff Bridges are naked. Davy... Daisy Duke is the owner of this house, and he has just got out of prison, and he's being like a handyman for people. And he's fixing up this house... And she comes to the window completely naked, like the patty, and just presses herself up on the window, like while he's working with his. You remember that scene? And in that the, is what you remember. I remember at age it. It's years indelibly old. ingrained in my brain because it's, I was, I, it was on VHS, you know, and you'd never seen, you don't see naked stuff on TV really. 
And I, I was like, whoa, you know? And I was like, films can have naked people in them? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you're from England where they put rocket stuff naked. Yeah, naked but I was like so 10 much. years old. I wasn't watching, you know, British TV shows like that. Plus, yeah. back in the 70s, British TV shows like that didn't really exist. That was more of a 90s thing. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that's the part I remember. And that's not why the film is good, but that is good. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds to me like that might be why you're recommending it. <laughs> I have to see it again. I don't know if I should be embarrassed, ashamed, or just, like, cool with it. I don't know. I don't know anymore. I mean, I don't care. I mean, but... it's just a naked Catherine Back. But that it has impressed upon you so indelibly in your brain. It definitely you, did. That, that movie. Oh, that's interesting. I'm trying to think. Has there ever been a movie where I remember it because of any... Nudity. Male, nudity, body, anything? I'm going to have to say No. Not even Midnight Express. What? Remember the movie Midnight Express? I don't know what you mean by you mean like there's the guy a penis in, the gym? in that movie. See, I don't. You remember? Okay, so basically, you just remember naked stuff in movies, <laughs> <laughs> regardless. Just, just call me Mister Skin. <laughs> I remember Shame. There was a naked. Uh, yeah, fastbender penis. Fastbender penis. So no, I don't. I don't remember because of that though. That's so funny. My recommendations are, I'm just, going... <laughs> just call me Mr. Skin. www.mrskin. I think that exists. Don't tell people to go there. What a lame-ass website. Um, <laughs> so, my recommendations are, I'm going back 100 years in time. Because, yes, cinema has been around that long and longer. And my 1920 movie, which is 100 years old, is called Lady Rose's Daughter. I looked it up. There's not a lot of information about it. It's a silent movie. It's 1920. It's about a woman who is the illegitimate daughter of another woman. Like, illegitimate. Like, obviously, there's no... The description is very brief. Um, both the mother and the daughter have similar backgrounds. And then the daughter gets, like, taken by some sort of, like, fortune, like a con man. And the family treats her very, very badly. Now, this is a silent film, so you're going to have lots of hands to foreheads and, you know... Piano playing and then like things to read, but it sounds like an interesting one. And then the other one from 1970, which is 50 years ago, I think a lot of people will have heard of this one. It's called Love Story. I like Love Story. And what is the quote from Love Story that we all like to keep repeating? Mm. Which I don't agree with, but it is, is it what it is. Paint me like one of your French girls, Jack. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that the wrong movie? That's, yes. That's another love story. It's love means never having to say you're sorry, which is bullshit. So don't follow that philosophy. I get it. And those are my recommendations. All right. Thank you very much. So Ace Scully stuff. I've been playing some games. I actually uh, put on my VR headset this week for the first, there's not been any games on VR hardly for a long time, but this week Valve the makers of Half-Life, put out a new AAA $60 VR game that is exclusive to VR. You can't play it regular. And I played some of it. And I have to say, I was very impressed. You might have seen some of it too. A little bit. You didn't see it inside VR though. You just saw it on the screen, right? Correct. Um, It still makes me feel like... Well, that's one thing I'll, I'll have to say, right? 
at the beginning of the game, it said, it, there's loads of different control schemes, and it said, are you used to VR? Well, just use this walking about control. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm used to it. I'll do that. So this was like the way you just push the stick to walk about, but you stay, you stand in place. Yeah, because so, you were sitting down. I'm like, can you sit down? Yeah, do there is a sitting down mode, which I was doing at first, but then I realized... It kind of sucks some of the fun out of it because sometimes you have to duck to go under things, and like when you sat in a chair, you right. can't really do it. So it it removes those parts and just like warps you through like the. And it was kind of I know I want to do all of these, so I stood up and did it, and I used the thing that said, "Are you used to VR? This is the control scheme for you." And then after about ten, well, now I'd say I played it for about what two hours, maybe. Yeah, I felt like I was going to chuck. Oh dear! Like it made me feel like you know. Like car sick. Yeah, I know exactly how you feel because I always feel that way. Yeah, well, I know ne- I'm pretty, I'm pretty. Um, immune. I never get car sick though, so it's an interesting combination. No, I'm pretty immune to VR though. I've been, I've played like American Truck Simulator, for instance. I have drove like a massive, like four or five hour journey with the headset on, and had no ill effects from it. And you've flown in that one when the plane that yeah, one made me which feel does like, give oh. you like a stomach feeling, like you've. A weird, like, your brain plays tricks with you. And it, totally. And, yeah, and you get, like, a kind of roll-over stomach thing when you start swooping down in the plane. But this one just gave me this... Uh, um, the game's excellent, by the way. It's uh, it's the prequel to Half-Life 2, starring Alex, who is the daughter of Vance, who, you, if you followed the Half-Life story, it's a whole new chapter in Half-Life. But it's done so well. Like, the actual game itself, the Except way Except it made you sick. Yeah, but I don't think it would make me sick if I chose a different control method. Oh, I get you. I chose the, like, oh, you're fine with VR, just use this free look, free walk. The free walking is what made me feel sick, because when you start pushing the stick, you move forward. But obviously you're stood still, so your brain is like, why am I moving forward? Yeah. I'm still stood, I'm stood in place. And it makes you, after a while, feel very weird. And I felt like I was going to fall over, and that's why I said to you, I feel sweaty and hot, and I have to stop now. <laughs> but uh, if I put it on the other, there's another um, VR method of moving, and it's called teleport, and you don't actually walk. You just point to where you want to go and press a button, and it zooms you over to it. Like It's like, it, it's like you blink in your eyes, and then and you're you in like a new that? place. Well, that way, it doesn't give you any sickness, because there's no like, weird But then forward. it's not like you're really there. Yeah, it's more exactly. It's less immersive, but if you're a weak, weako, less like me, vomitous. <laughs> yeah, but I did manage two hours until I. It took me a while to feel weird, but then I felt weird for about an hour afterwards. So I had to go and have a shower, and I had a coldish shower, and that made me feel better. But um, are we sure this was from the VR? It was okay. The game itself, yeah. the detail, is fantastic. When the, when the game opens, it opens with this. It, it goes to a white screen, and you're inside VR, and then it fades the white screen away, and you're in City Seventeen, which is the city from Half Life, and you're stood on a balcony overlooking the whole city, and you can, you you know, you can look at you know you've seen well you might not have seen VR, but it's like you're there. You look around, everything's. It is all it's cracked up to be because yeah. I haven't done it a lot. And it does make me feel weird, but there is, your brain absolutely goes with it. Now, a lot of the stuff in there 
it doesn't like it doesn't make me go like wow I'm in 3D or anything like that because I kind of see the world that way anyway. But the moments when you're like on the ledge of a building or you're trying to go downstairs or you're there's something like that your brain is convinced you're really there. Yeah. yeah, that you and then you like lean back and you like lean because I we did the water one where you like there were like big fish swimming around and I would like move my head to the side like that kind of stuff I find pretty fascinating that. You can't even trick your brain into not doing it. You're sitting there like, no, I gotta, I've got to lean over. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's coming toward me. And and this one, because it's we've come so far with VR. I mean, it's like two years into it, really. The PC VR, maybe three years. This is like the best. The graphics inside the VR are really a step up from everything else I've seen. Because what they did in the first generation of VR was try to make everything cartoonish because it was easier to render. This actually looks realistic. Yeah, it does. Like it's, you know, what you look I could through say. glass. When I was looking through a glass window, it looked just like in real life, the way light reflects off the glass. And, you know, when I was drawing on the window with the mm-hmm. felt marker, it's very, you didn't see it inside the helmet, but it's very real looking. It's weird. So that's Half-Life Alex. If you've got a strong stomach and a VR helmet, <laughs> and you've got to have a lot, there's a barrier to entry here, isn't there, for this game? You've got to own a VR yeah, true. headset. You've got to own VR controllers. It's $60 for the game. It, not everybody's going to be playing it, but it is quite the thing. I was quite impressed. And the other game I've been playing is Doom Eternal, which is a flat game that you play on your monitor. It's not in VR. But it's Doom, and you shoot stuff. <laughs> and you said to me when I started playing it, is there any story or anything? And I'm like, <laughs> story's pretty much, here's a shotgun, there's some demons, kill them all. Right. Right. There isn't much of a story. No, I can't complain because I play games that have no story. I just build a city or build a house with a little sim in it. And right now I'm playing um, Solitaire Spider Master. Spider on Master level. There's no story here. So I'm not judging when there's (laughs) no story. But when it's just a shooter, that just does not appeal to my brain or anything at all. Right. But this... Doom's got this long legacy, and it, and they kind of stick into that. Like, but in but then you tried to test me, like, hmm. So what's so special about Doom? And I'm like, first person, first first person shooter. And you're like, oh, that's right. Technically, second. Remember, <laughs> Wolfenstein was the first. Right. But still, Listen Wolfenstein was pretty much Doom. Super super nerdy stuff there. Yeah. So Doom Eternal is, um, I think, is like this. There was a Doom in 2016 which they tried to make it like more story driven and it had a lot of like cutscenes, and then there'd be some shooting and then there'd be some exploration. This one's really just balls out. Hey, walk, go over there. There'll be a load of demons, like figure out how to kill them all without dying. And it's a lot of jumping and moving and it's very fast and it's very fun. I like games with no enemy. You do. So Doom Although I like Plants vs. Zombies, and I could play a long time until they just made it stupid hard, and then I'm like, screw this. Well, you truly wouldn't like Doom. It's not No. But I really enjoy it. It's kind of cool. So uh, what's for dinner? Well, I'm going to venture out into the world, see what happens. I'll try to get us some Impossible Whoppers. You do have a little letter that you can show. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to use it if I'm not going to work. No, that's true. No, and I'm saying if I go and there's not hardly any mention people. the let you do have a letter for work. That's what I'm saying. So you can I can go to work. I can't go get a burger. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying mention that letter that you get because you work for the state. 
Yes. And we have a letter that says we can travel to go to work. Yeah. And so tomorrow when I do go to work, because we are, in quotation marks, essential. We're one of those groups. Um, it's a data center. And so you are, there has to be human someone there. The rest, most of everybody else, can they, they can remote in to the data center. So you see, got to have somebody there to do the work. Now you can't do everything from home, but people are getting by extremely, exceptionally well. But we need to be there because you phys- we are in charge of operations. So that's physically the condition of the data center. Temperature, moisture, electricity, all that stuff. And so um, I just feel like somebody, I don't just feel like it. I mean, someone has to physically be there. Therefore, we become essential and I get to go to work. But now I have this letter that I had to print out in case we get stopped on the way to work. We can show them this letter. But I don't know how enforceable this whole thing is going to be, we'll find out. I mean, it's to be taken seriously, for sure. It is, but then they go, oh, we can still do everything you want to do. And I'm thinking, if you stop me, and I say, I'm going grocery shopping, and they've considered that essential, and then they go, oh, okay. But I'm actually lying to you. I'm going to a party in a basement where there's a hundred of us, and we're all going to lick each other. Like, you don't know that. That sounds like a good time. (laughs) I'm just saying, there's no way to enforce... A wishy-washy, everybody stay at home when not everybody has to stay at home. I mean, there's no way. Unless you see a group of people standing on the corner, then you break it up. But you just ask me what I'm doing. Oh, I have to go get my mother's prescription. Well, unless the cop person, police officer, law enforcement person says, okay, I'm going to follow you to the pharmacy. I'm going to stand right there while you get this prescription. And then I'm going to drive and follow you home to where you deliver it to whomever it belongs. There's no way to enforce that, that I'm telling the truth. We're not on the honor system anymore. <laughs> you know, it would be nice, but so we'll see. I will go out into the, into the world, gauge things as they are. Nice job. Um, so what's your advice? And then we'll leave. I mean, I understand very fully. I, I have a split personality sort of, I like complete and utter structure as in procedures for tasks and bullet point lists for getting something done. Like my job is sort of that kind of thing. You know, if you need to check all the fire suppression tanks, you have to check all the fire suppression tanks. You can't just like wing it. There's a list, there's a structure, you do it. Then again, I think that I have a complete and utter chaos or anarchist pardon me, that says when somebody in authority, again with the quotation marks, barks at you about something that doesn't make sense to you or doesn't seem like for the greater good or whatever the circumstance is, to be told you cannot question it, that's vile. It's vile. You know, if you're not trying to rip down a system that's saving lives, you know, don't do that. But if someone just flat out says, don't question me ever, don't doubt what I'm telling you because I'm in a position of authority. That has no credibility. And I don't care who tells you that it does, it doesn't. Like, if you're trying to thwart, like, if a ship's going down and you step in front of somebody saying, oh, no, no let me, wait a minute, please describe to me again how we're supposed to save everybody because I disagree while people are drowning behind you. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about don't be intimidated by someone because they're loud or because they are in a position on an organizational chart that's two little notches up over you. Because guess what? There's about 50 up above them. 
And every person in that whole entire chart is a person who makes decisions right and wrong, who gets things wrong, who filters things wrong, who interprets things incorrectly and correctly. And there is every reason for us to question them as every opportunity. Because if you stop doing that, this sort of situation can turn into all of a sudden, everybody just learns to comply with everything. And then before you know it, you're like, hold on. Um, the, the news tells us people aren't getting sick anymore. Why do we still have to stay at home? Well, because, (laughs) okay. But the truth, the facts are, yeah, but because the president or the governor said it, or the mayor said it, just stay at home. We don't have a reason. He just decided, right? Right. So you had to question stuff to your safety. I mean, don't be dangerous about it, but you know, don't become a puppet of an authoritarian because I mean, you know, that's no good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So, and um, I was going to say one more thing. I uh, recommend, but, if you're a reasonable person, <laughs> who's going to admit that they aren't, right? We've been watching F-Stoppers, uh, Lee and Patrick of F-Stoppers. It's a photography website, and they do tutorials, and they do F-stoppers. critiques. com. Yeah, F-Stoppers, and they're on YouTube. And now, through all that, they live in Puerto Rico. So, for the entire, the first day they got locked down, Puerto Rico was locked down pretty much before any of us were. They're doing like a daily journal of a video of them talking about the statistics, conspiracy theories, their own personal take on it. They're not professionals in any way other than photography. So like, don't take their word as gospel on anything or as fact. It's just that they're presenting it in a way like where you and I would sit and have the same conversation, right? Like, wow, did you see this number? And I wonder why that is. And I wonder why they're locked down and they're not. And what is this? And the stock market and blah, blah, blah. It's very interesting um, to see just two people talking about it. And I think if you have some time on your hands and you want, you almost feel like you're part of their conversation, you know, because we've watched them enough now we're used to them. But I think it's an interesting take on it. And I would recommend um, if you're self-isolating and all that stuff, Ozark on Netflix. (laughs) The new season of Ozark came out yesterday, season three. We've watched three episodes already. And, uh, it's fantastic. It's really good. It's really good. Jason Bateman, Laura Linney. Um, check it out, Netflix. So um, finally, aschoolie.com is the website we are broadcasting from. <laughs> broadcasting. We're, we're broadcasters. Are we? Yes. Oh. We're uh, on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram. You can catch this podcast on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, there's an RSS feed. You can just use that to subscribe through anything. You can ask your smart speaker. You can say, say the trigger word and then say, play the After the Show movie podcast on TuneIn. It will play you the latest episode. And finally, email feedback to me at aschoolie at And finally, finally, <laughs> stay classy. <laughs> Mr. Clint Eastwood, you are a genuine legend. Oh, my. And I'm going to say... Think for yourself, everyone. If you don't do it, someone will do it for you. 